We're going to start with an age test. Could you put your hands like this, just about this far apart, and just react to what I'm about to sing, and I apologise for it before I sing, uh, just react to it however you want to, okay? So no one told you life was gonna be this way. Now, that's not just a cheap way of me getting a round of applause, albeit on YouTube, but if you didn't clap five times after that line, then somehow, during the 90s, you missed the global phenomena that was the Friends TV show. And it came over from America and convinced the UK to fall in love with, with coffee shops uh, and also introduced us to these six, 20, 30-somethings uh, who were still trying to find their place in the world but found uh, a real sense of identity with their friends. One of my favourite characters on that show was a guy called Chandler. Uh, very quick-witted, very free-spirited, very sarcastic. Uh, and we kind of just got the impression, got the illusion really, that behind the lines and behind the laughter and behind the camera, uh, this was who that actor was. But more recently, Matthew Perry, uh, the guy who plays Chandler, has really started to open up about some of his deep struggles during that time. He became almost addicted to getting the response from the audience. Uh, if he didn't get the big laugh, uh, he would feel crushed and disappointed and devastated by that. And that led him to come to depend on prescription medication and alcohol in a desperately unhealthy way. Uh, and behind the cameras, Matthew Perry, who was ironically on a show all about friendships, uh, the chorus of that song says, I'll be there for you, who found himself desperately lonely and broken by the experience of making that show. Very recently, he was uh, being interviewed uh, about what has led him now out of those addictions and towards sobriety. And he tells a fascinating story. He says that early on in his career, he prayed to God for fame. God, if you were there, make me famous. And he did become famous. He became one of the most well-known, well-recognized, well-loved people on TV and potentially even, I'm going to say it, on the planet. And yet that came at such a deep personal cost. Then in an interview recently, he talks about another prayer that he prayed. He says, God, please help me. He writes about this in his book. He says, show me that you're here. God, please help me. I started to cry. I mean, I really started to cry. That shoulder-shaking kind of uncontrollable weeping. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe, taken care of. Decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness, all was being washed away, like a river of pain gone into oblivion. I had been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I prayed for the right thing, help. God had shown me a slither of what life could be. He saved me that day and for all days, no matter what. He turned me into a seeker, not only of sobriety, and truth, but also of him. 
he stays sober for two years and he credits that solely on that encounter with God. One of the things I was reflecting on as I was reading that story was my sense of surprise. And then it kind of caught me. I was thinking, well, why, why am I surprised by this? This is what God does. But there are certain people that we, if we're honest, in our human kind of approach to life, we don't imagine we'll reach out to God. Uh, we don't imagine we'll discover God. But hopefully what I want us to discover as we journey towards Christmas in these Christmas devotions is that just like those people in the original story, we can still find God in unexpected places. Take, for example, the first chapter of the book of Luke. It's kind of a game of two halves, really. Uh, the angel Gabriel's having a really busy time. He visits two people, uh, at least two people, in this first chapter. One is an old priest. Uh, he's been chosen for a special role. Uh, so he's in the temple, a special place, and in the most special part of that temple. His name was Zechariah. Uh, and the angel Gabriel appears to him. Now, so far, so good, right? So, so normal. You'd expect this special priest on a special day in the most special place of a most special place to encounter something special, something holy, something other, something angelic. And this angel comes and says to him, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. You and your wife are going to have a baby. And he begins to prophesy all that this baby, who will become John the Baptist, will do to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus' arrival. Well, Zechariah is old now. He'd almost sort of forgotten those prayers prayed in the early years of their marriage. Uh, and he asks a question, how? But his how is the how of, how can I be sure? that any of this is real? How can I be sure that this is true? It's just, it's impossible now. It's impractical now. And I love Gabriel's response. How can you be sure? I'm, I'm Gabriel. I've come from the presence of God. And because of Zechariah's disbelief, because he's used his words so unwisely, the power of words is taken off him. And he is struck dumb until the day of the child's birth. That's one story. Then the other half of the chapter details Gabriel's interaction with uh, someone called Mary. Now, if everything in the introduction to Zechariah is building towards this is a special man with a special job in a special place at a special time, everything about Mary's introduction says the opposite. It's interesting, in uh, 1985, there was an American cartoonist, Alison Brechel, uh, who suggested that films and books should go through a Brechel test. And the test was this. Are there at least two female characters in a film who both get named, that's really important, and who discuss something other than a romantic attachment or a potential romantic attachment? And you would be amazed, or perhaps you wouldn't, at how many films fail the Brechel test. 
They have female characters in them, but they're not really deep or rich or rounded characters. They're kind of damsels in distress waiting for a man to come and rescue them. Well, if you apply the Brechel test to the book of Luke, indeed to the entire of the New Testament, uh, you'll see that it passes it with, with flying colours. Uh, it's not the special old priest, uh, the male in this story, who responds well uh, to the first time we hear this message from heaven breaking 400 years of silence. It's Mary. And if he's a special man, special place, special day, special time, uh, everything about Mary is that she's a nobody, a virgin, not even married yet. So no sort of rights, no sort of responsibilities, no real place in this world yet. From Nazareth, a, a backwards kind of place, a nowhere kind of place. We don't even know what she was doing at the time. We don't even know where she was. It was a a nothing kind of day. The first place I want us to notice that we can find God is in the ordinary. And this angel comes and says, greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. A nowhere girl doing nothing special in a nothing special place. The Lord is with you. Mary, naturally, a young woman on her own, is deeply troubled by this, wonders what this means. And so the angel speaks again and says, you have found favour with God. An ordinary girl, an ordinary place. We don't know where she was even. We don't know what she was doing. She might have been at home uh, getting ready for the evening meal to serve her family. She might have been out in the field picking up straw. We, we've got no idea, but that's the point here. And Mary asks a question, but her question isn't, how can I believe this? Her question is, how is this gonna work? How is this gonna happen? I'm, I'm not even married yet. And Gabriel explains that the Holy Spirit will take care of the miraculous side of things. And as we'll think about in our next uh, devotion, Mary just says yes. Mary just surrenders to this amazing plan. And she is not struck dumb. Mary sings. My soul rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary recognises, I'm an ordinary person. Uh, this is an ordinary day, this is an ordinary place. She goes on to sing, he brings down rulers from their thrones and he's lifted up the humble. And Mary's song isn't just, I'm an ordinary girl and look what he's done for me. Mary's song is, this is who God is. This is what God does. We can find God in unexpected places. Back in the 1600s in France, there was a guy called Nicholas Herman. He'd been in the army, but because of an injury, uh, he had to retire from the army. And one day he sat looking at a tree, just an ordinary tree. And as he's looking at it, he realizes that though the tree has no life on it, though it's just a barren tree, one day a new season will come. 
Uh, and he realizes that God has built this rhythm of life and resurrection into creation. And he thinks that could happen for me. So he goes and joins a monastery. He gets renamed as Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence found that he could feel as close to God in the kitchen doing the washing up as he could in those sort of formal times of worship. And he writes a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He writes in it, it's not needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, and it is done if there is nothing else to call me. I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up straw from the ground for the love of God. In another place, he says, we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Can you and I today, here's the challenge, can you and I today do little things out of a love for God and discover that we can find God in the ordinary, in unexpected places, in turning a, a, a cake in the pan, in doing the washing up, in picking up straw, out of a love and appreciation for God and his world. Let's read another passage for us for today. Again, this is from Practicing the Presence of God. He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, that he's bestowed on you, in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. So may you know in the ordinary, in the everyday, in the merest thought of things, that he will be there for you.